Thank you for listening to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. My name is Dave Wakeman. I'm your host. And today's guest is Dan Marr. Dan is the Director of Audience Development and Digital Engagement with the Diablo Ballet in Walnut Creek, California, which is just outside of San Francisco. Now, my conversation with Dan was a lot of fun. Um, probably, like, I laugh more than I have in any other podcast I've done here. But despite the humor, we got to a lot of really, really important topics. We talked about personal engagement, the importance of cultivation over acquisition. We talked about uh, the importance of one-to-one connections, uh, little things like handwritten cards and phone calls. We talked about how uh, technology can sometimes be a deterrent and not an asset in our growing of a customer base. We talked about um, the ability to grow the arts, not just as a... Um, on a venue by venue basis, but as a just a holistic thing, we talked about just a tremendous amount of stuff. I think this one's going to be a lot of fun for you to listen to, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did having it. So I'm going to turn it over to Dan. I'd like to welcome Dan Marr to the Business of Fun podcast. Dan, how are you? I am great and ready to talk arts marketing. Oh, this, I, I have a feeling that this is going to be like. If it's not well received, it's going to be one of the most fun. <laughs> so, well, we will, I will guarantee you that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Then. So, I thank you for being here because I really um, have been f- following what you've been doing with the Diablo ba- Ballet, and uh, we've gone back and forth a little bit um, over the last few days as we've been preparing for this. And we've been talking a lot about the humanity in the arts and the need for mm-hmm. more humanity in arts marketing. And I thought mm-hmm. what you are doing uh, is really a fantastic example of that. So I want to start out by kind of going over like a little bit of your philosophy because, uh, at least from my experience, there isn't necessarily as much emphasis on like kind of hand-to-hand, human-to-human approach to marketing that you're doing. So can you give us like a little overview of your philosophy? Absolutely, and you're absolutely right. Where has the humanity gone in what we're doing? The arts are all about humanity, yet the human touch especially in the marketing side, has been removed. We're not, you know, we're talking to our people through the human side, through our human emotions. We're talking to them through digital ads, through our wonderful super subscriber brochures and all that kind of thing. When people enjoy those and can certainly appreciate those, but that's not necessarily what's going to make the sell for you. It is that one-on-one connection that we have lost. And technology is fabulous. It is great. It has certainly enhanced our lives. It has also removed the humanity from our day-to-day contacts. So when I have somebody come into our show at Diablo Ballet who hasn't been in, say, two or three years, and I leave a note card, a personally handwritten note card on their seat welcoming them back, it's like gold to them. It's like I know I have just given them a million dollars. In fact, the most interesting thing about that initiative, the handwritten cards, I have never in all of my 10 plus years of doing arts marketing seen a better, more positive, more enthusiastic reception to a handwritten note, more so than beautiful brochures or, you know, lovely digital ads. So it goes to show you when we put the humanity back into arts marketing, we reap the rewards. 
Yeah, I think that's an awesome um, way to start, too, is like putting the humanity back into it. Because um, I know I shared a story of my success with those note cards as well. Um, but let me ask you this, because what I'm interested in is you, you mentioned how you would rec- be able to recognize that somebody hasn't been to the to see a show or been, been to visit mm-hmm. in a couple of years. How do you track that? Like, you know, I know because I know there's a lot of different tools, and I'm I want to give people something like a actionable takeaway so they know how they that you do this. Absolutely. So Diablo Ballet is a professional dance company in the San Francisco Bay Area. We're based in Walnut Creek, which is a suburb about a 30, 40 minutes outside of San Francisco. We have an operating budget of about a million dollars. So we are very much a smaller arts organization. We do not have the fancy tessituras and all those other wonderful programs out there. So we use two sources. When I started this uh, whole recultivation two years ago, literally it was me going back through single ticket records one by one and putting inputting all this information into an Excel spreadsheet. Very basic, very simple, but you know what? It's what needed to happen to make the job be done. Now we're on to using Salesforce, which of course has been a wonderful attribute to growing um, our database and all of our information and all of the collateral that comes along with that. However, the thing is, is that you know, there are things out there for organizations of every size that can do what we're doing at Diablo Ballet. Don't think about that. I need to spend, you know, $80,000 for a new system to track this. It can be done with your simple friend, the Excel sheet, believe it or not. Does it take time? Yes. Is it going to take more time than using a data system? Yes. But you know what? If you want to get something done and you want to achieve those results, you need to put the time and the effort in to do it. Yeah, and I think that the point about it, you know it taking time to do this and do it well if you want to achieve something is very important. But also, and this is something I'm, I'm sure I know you're, how you're going to answer this question already. <laughs> but <laughs> but is it, it's still less time than it would take to cultivate and grow a comparable amount of customers and guests and fans. Am I am I wrong in saying that, or am I right on? Well, it, it all everything's going to take time. Yes, you know we're we're, we're on Salesforce now, and yeah. guess what? Yes, it's a wonderful uh, program. Guess what? It still takes time to input all that data in. So one way or the other, you're going to have to do the work, and that's one of the things that I have always stressed for programs like this. You have to be committed. There are people who want the easy way out. There are people who just I want to just shove all this data into a system. And let it correlate it all, and bingo, five minutes later, it's all done for me. Well, great. If that happens the way that you want it, chances are it's not going to happen that way. You're going to have to go back into it later. But if you have to want to take the time, you have to want to do it. And I'll tell you, that's the big thing. When people say, well, you you have guys have really increased your sales and your subscriptions at Diablo Ballet. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Well, guess what? That doesn't just happen with somebody sitting back and pushing out an e-blast. You have to take the time. You have to make that commitment. You have to want to make it happen. And not just you, the person who's doing the program. It is the entire organization. Everything from your executive director to your artistic director to your board. They have to be committed and on the same page. I, I, that that I couldn't agree with more. Um, I, I'd say that um, marketing is pretty much everything that you do, and it's everybody's job. And, yes. You know, it's... I think people forget that or it's not emphasized enough and it's just like such a valuable thing. Now you brought up the rate of growth for your subscriptions here. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we've talked about 
um, or two, two ideas that we talked a lot about um, in our back and forth was personal engagement and cultivation over acquisition. Yes. Now, in growing your subscriber base, how much of it is personal engagement and then how much of it is um, comes about over the cultivation process? You know, like, are these single ticket buyers that you have the ability, have had the ability to grow into subscriptions? Uh, is it a combination of new subscribers mm-hmm. and people who are single ticket buyers? You know, what's that breakdown look like and, and how have you kind of cultivated this growth? Because it's really impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. It, uh, thank you. Uh, well, basically, the reaction program, which, which is the program we call here at Diablo Ballet, uh, that went back and uh, reengaged with lapsed ticket buyers over the past seven years, just by going through records. If they had a contact, we contacted them. And that was from the 2016-17 season. That was the first season we engaged with them. So what we did, we started out by sending them emails. We sent them a postcard with an offer saying, hey, we know you came two, three, four years ago. We haven't seen you. Love to see you again. We sent out, uh, you know, even we even made personalized videos to engage with a lot of these folks too. And I can get into that later, but that's a fascinating element as well. So after we sent all this stuff out to about a test group of about 700 lapse ticket buyers, we started seeing engagement. And we have four programs a year at Diablo Ballet. So we provided them with special ticket offers, not just tickets, special discounts. We also invited them to special events like in-studio rehearsals. So it was not all ticket-based. We gave them a full range of the experience of what they would get as a Diablo Ballet patron and or subscriber. And then at the end of the season of uh, cultivating them, which was the end of uh, May 2017, we created a special subscription package, an introductory two-show package. So a lot of these people, again, had not been with us for many, many years. So we wanted to ease them back into the circle. So we said, hey, we're we're glad you came this year. We want you to be a part of our family. Here's our special two-show subscription package. Sign this up. Take it out. Nominal price. You'll get subscriber benefits and see what we are. And surprise, surprise, that is when the magic happened. We saw in just uh, that one season of cultivation, we increased our subscriber rate by 23%. That was hundreds of new subscribers and thousands of new dollars to the organization. And what what tipped it, uh, going back to your points, was it the human touch? Was it the cultivation? I'll say it was both. Uh, human touch is extremely important to me. I will be the first to call somebody personally. You know, that's rare nowadays. Nobody wants to take a phone call. Nobody wants to talk to you directly. How dare you do that? <laughs> that is go- that's gold. When you can talk to somebody and have a conversation with them, you're not an automated machine. You're a live human being. How exciting is that? The same thing when I wrote a note card for the people when they would come back to our shows. Thank you so much, Mary, for joining us. We're so glad you're here. We hope to see you again. Basic, simple. That was gold. They reacted to that. When we put in that human element and continue it through the cultivation, through a whole season, that is when the results happened, and that is when we increased our subscriptions. And that, the subscription rate we reached for the 16-17 season came out to be the highest subscription rate in Diablo Ballet's 25-year history. So that was amazing. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I saw the, you know, the numbers were all as far as like cultivating and growing, you know, new growth or mm-hmm. bringing people back. We're all in the 20 to 25% range, which is 
I mean, that's unbelievable, right? I mean, you know, most people would be yeah. wanting to cut their arm, you know, cut their arm off for that kind of growth. Sure. And again, <laughs> you got to remember, Diablo Ballet is not a fifty million dollar organization. So, you know, we're you, we're doing a lot of grassroots kind of stuff. If you even want to call humanity grassroots nowadays, maybe we're going backwards. But, you know, so we use a lot of our very basic tools to work with people. But that's what people want. You know, there are bells and whistles are fabulous and great. But when you got that chance to make that human connection, that is when you are going to make a lifetime patron. Yeah, and when you say the humanity grassroots, that's like a you know to me that's a cool term. And then you talk about having all the tools, but really the people wanting the humanities. This is one of you know or the personal touch. This is something mm-hmm. again that I go out and I scream about all over the world. Um, you know, and I talk about it needs to be a community and it needs to be a personal thing. And at least from what I see, sometimes it becomes like too much of a crutch to use the technology. You know, we be- oh, we rely yeah. on it too much. It, it's like it's. It's great because it allows you know people like you and I to connect, right? Right? Like me and a bunch of mm-hmm. my friends, we're all you know we're all over the world and we stay in touch, right? We have these nice conversations, but there's nothing that can replace this humanity. And I, you know, and hearing that over and over again, I don't think it's something that you know we should short sell at all because it's like sort of the core of you know not just the arts, but like concerts and sports and all of these events and entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, because. If you just wanted to watch, like, see some inter- be entertained, there's every great thing in the world at your fingertips on your phone or on your laptop or on your iPad. You know, so like, we have to sell this unique experience. This is like a once in a lifetime thing because you're never going to have the same group of people in the same room watching the same show ever again. I mean, that's absolutely. just me. Absolutely. Well, well, you know. well, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely correct. In fact, you 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 bring up a whole nother. You know, argument in the arts is, you know, why are we losing our audiences? Well, guess what? People don't need to leave their house anymore to be entertained. I can watch Netflix and see my favorite shows. I can order my food online. I can Skype with someone, not even have to see them in person. Why do I need to get in my car, find parking, go to dinner, go to the opera house, and then drive all the way back home hours later when I could just stay in the comfort of my own home? That's the uphill battle we continue to face in the arts, is how do we make um, our, our, what we do valuable to everybody? And the, you know, the one thing that I have found over these years is the, the secret sauce, I will call it, for the arts, and I don't think we're doing a good job mining it, is that we are a live experience. People want that. You, what you are seeing now at this very moment in that theater, at that musical, at that symphony – is never going to happen again. Even if you were to watch it an hour later, it's a completely different experience. And that's what we need to sell. And I don't think we're selling that really well enough. I mean, look at what's happening on TV nowadays. All these musicals are coming back live on network, and they're live, live, live. They're smart enough. They understand where they're, how they need to bring in their audiences instead of watching it three days later. We want you to watch it now. Live is, I think, one of the secret keys. Yes, no, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And you know, when you say that we're not selling it well enough in the arts, we're not necessarily selling it well enough anywhere. Because I mean, <laughs> if you look at, uh, you know, like Ticketmaster, I don't know if it's a public document or it's something somebody fed me. So if it is, I, the person that gave it to me uh, will remain nameless. But they're like <laughs> forty-seven or percent of their their tickets go unsold every year. Mm. And uh, but they, and again, you know, that's. 
that, that's arts, concerts, sports, the whole deal, right? With Ticketmaster, right. there, this is like humanity is is ignoring the most human thing you can do, which is go and be in a room with a whole bunch of other people sharing art or entertainment, mm -hmm. you know, like a communal experience. And it's just, it really truly is a really a missed opportunity. It's, you know, it's because I know every time I go see something, like I went to see, um, who the hell, I went to see Courtney Barnett last night at the Anthem. Mm. And I was like, this is great. This is like so much fun. I hung out with my buddy. I had a couple beers and like enjoyed live music in a room full of people. And I was like, this is a unique experience that I'm only going to have with this group, this room full of people. It's awesome. And I, I think right. if you don't sell that, you're, it's really a missed opportunity because like Completely. you said, everybody understands live, at least on TV, understands live is the way, is the way to go. And you know, it's just a missed opportunity. Well, it is. And, you know, and I think it's, it's indicates obviously how much technology has permeated our lives not to say that technology is the whole evil factor from keeping us to having one-on-one -on -one interactions but it certainly has played that part largely to it that again have we gone backwards that now we have become so removed from one-on-one -on -one communication that when it actually happens it's like a, an aha moment i mean is that really what's happened in our world <laughs> Yeah, it's it's amazing. And you brought up a good point, which is like technology isn't evil, right? Again, it's great. Um, mm -hmm. But technology also has opened up a whole slew of, you know, awareness that people have. So like if, you know, you're doing something, then the people here, let's say where I'm at in D.C. at uh, – you know, like the Kennedy Center or mm -hmm. the Arena Stage or any of these places, they're going to know what you, what Dan's up to, right? And yeah. so the and this is like an, a years long email chain I have going on going on with a couple of people at the uh, Sydney Opera House, right? Which is one of the most iconic buildings in the world. And mm -hmm. the, the challenge is keeping it fresh, right? Uh. And you know, mm -hmm. because as soon as you have something, you have experienced something once, or somebody else has experienced it once, it's old, it's passe, right? Mm -hmm. So, keeping it fresh in a, you know, in the environment that we live in now is a real challenge. And how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you tackle that? Well, you know, um, I to keep people interested, to keep people attached to Diablo Ballet. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I think content is king. I mean, that is such an old phrase. It's gone back. You know, years and years and years, but really, that's what it's come down to. People want information. I mean, you know, we're not just talking about social media, where it was the first place that content really became a force that we had to pump it up. But we're talking about e-blasts. You know, nowadays, I'm very pleased to see that a lot of uh, arts organizations are realizing that e-blasts are not just to sell tickets. They are not buy tickets now. Oh, you've got five days left. Oh, the show's opening tonight. Buy your tickets. Almost sold out. I would get those e-blasts continually. And it's like, really? Do you think this is really engagement? Now, fortunately, I'm seeing a lot more content being delivered about that show, about why I need to see the show that starts in five days and tickets are going quick. Content really is going to drive people to these arts organizations. Video uh, is a, an amazing, amazing cultivator. And I'll just give you an interesting thing uh, from our standpoint. We uh, do a lot of Facebook Live for stuff. And what it is is literally our artistic director, Lauren Jonas, is in the studio during a rehearsal. She'll switch on her iPhone. And we will just unannounced go live for like 40 seconds of rehearsal footage. No idea what's going to happen. No idea what the quality of it's going to be, but it goes on there and it goes on live. And within hours, we have thousands and thousands.
millions of views. These are people who have never seen Diablo Ballet, who probably live thousands of miles away and never will get to see Diablo Ballet. But something gravitated to make them watch this video for, uh, you know, 40 seconds. So video is a really wonderful cultivational tool, I find, as well. And tools like Facebook Live are things that I think the arts have not fully embraced to their full potential. I think I think that's absolutely right. And you brought up a couple a couple interesting things here. First is like the fact that it's Facebook Live, you're doing it, you know, off the cuff, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. pre planned and you it could fail, right? Which is like <laughs> what, what's the worst that happened? You shot a forty second video, it didn't work, right? Yeah. I mean that's, yeah. that's sort of my philosophy. Right. Which is great, right? And then you but you also brought up the point that like people these are people that who not aren't just in the San Francisco, the Bay Area. These are people from anywhere in the could be anywhere in the world. And mm-hmm. so you might not directly benefit. But the thing, mm-hmm. at least for me, it's like this is well within the capabilities of everybody, right? All over the mm-hmm. world to, to do this. And if we all took a little bit of time and did 30, 40, 50 second videos highlighting some kind of backstage thing, you know, rehearsal or anything, how powerful would the impact of that be as helping all arts organizations grow? Because oh cultivating the audience is a real challenge. Oh, completely, completely. And, and again, I think you bring up the great point is that like when we do something and somebody in England is watching our video, that's fabulous. They're not going to buy a ticket. That's not it. But we have to also, in the arts, not just talk about ourselves, but talk about our community, you know, what we are a part of. And this is like something on social media that I find interesting is that when people, you know, just want to talk about themselves and talk about what we're doing and what shows we are doing, why aren't you posting articles about a symphony in Australia? Why aren't you posting articles about an opera company in Berlin? We're all part of the same community. And just because that person reading it in another country is not going to buy a ticket to your show, why are we not talking about what we do? That's it. Well, and you bring up you bring up another point too, which is like I know we talked about it at the start, which is marketing is everybody's job. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're in the arts marketing, or if you're in uh, you know concerts and theater, or you know or whatever whatever form of entertainment you take on, it's not just your job necessarily to promote one specific game or ticket or event um, or performance, right? It's kind mm-hmm. of your job to cultivate fans and yes. and, and grow fans because. That person who's reading the article that you post on LinkedIn about the Sydney Opera House might not be in San Francisco today, might mm-hmm. not even be in San Francisco in a couple for a couple of years. But what's to say that they come to San Francisco for a couple of days in three years' time and they don't go? I want to go see the ballet. And I remember f- reading these things and I follow Dan on on LinkedIn and like you know who's to say? I mean, there's there's no telling where some of these positive results come from, right? And again. Oh. This is like ten second thing posting an article on LinkedIn about somebody else's great venue or performance. Absolutely, you bring up an absolute point, which people might say, "Oh yeah, no one from you know uh, uh, Europe is going to come see you, even though they just watched your video." About uh, seven years ago, we did a fascinating project called the Web Ballet, which created the world's first crowdsourced ballet via social media, where we took suggestions and music ideas and characters and blah, 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 like that. We got suggestions from all over the world. And one person who's made a suggestion uh, was from England. And one of their suggestions was selected. And, you know, it was great. And they were thrilled that they were a part of it. Guess what? At one of the performances, here comes this person from England 
with whose one of their suggestions was in the web ballet. You've got to be kidding. That's amazing. Yes. And I mean, that goes to show you the kind of connections that we can make through technology, through social media, and all those kind of things. Not to, and, but obviously not thinking that is going to be an end result when you do something, but those end results are possible. Yes. They are. Well, I mean, that's sort of the promise of the internet, right? Is that right. Um, it didn't matter what you were into. You could learn and be a part of, co- of a community of like-minded people anywhere you were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and so I think that sometimes, you know, we only see it in the most negative ways, right? Like with like political discourse or um, people like trolling and spamming and doing all these things. But what's to say that, the, that it also you can't create your own little positive community, right? Which is mm-hmm. like promoting the arts, promoting entertainment, promoting the experience of going to a live event. I mean, it, it's, you know, you, I mean, I, I, I'm selling you on something I know you appreciate, but <laughs> but it's... You know, it's a transformative experience when you when you go to these things. I mean, it's, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. It is. It is. And you know, uh, you know, and and getting back to uh, we're talking about you know audience development and cultivation. I think uh, you know when we bring those people in the door to our live experience, I am finding that so many organizations have not even thought about the next step. You know, you have that first time ticket buyer. You have encouraged them to come see you because it's a fabulous live experience. They come, they have a great time, and then what? A lot of organizations don't even realize that there should be follow-up steps after that. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it is. It blows my mind is what happens because you should know. I mean, you should know what the lifetime journey for a ticket buyer looks like, right? Like what steps, Mm -hmm. you know, how are you going to take them from like a single ticket to a, you know, maybe a two ticket package like you were talking about before to the full season, right? What's that Absolutely. process look like? I mean, if you haven't thought about, thought about it, how you, I can guarantee you one thing. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's, just, that's as, as much of a guarantee as I can give you is if you don't it think is. about it, it's not going to happen. It, well, it's, it's not going to happen by yeah. It's not going to happen by itself. Yeah. You know, people need encouragement. And again, going back to the point of there is so much out there for people to do everything, but what you want them to do, then you need to give them a reason and attachment why they should come back. You know, I, like for instance, I was talking to a, a theater company recently, and I asked them, "So, what is your follow up plan with first time ticket buyers? What do you do? How do you start the engagement?" They were very proud, and their answer is, after that person comes to their show, they get an email that says, thank you for coming to our show. And that was it. And it was like, <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's, that's a great start. That's awesome. Um, what, is, what is your, okay, so what is your next step then? Silence. It's like, oh, there's more to that? It's like, well, there should be. You know, and one of the things that I've, I'm finding very challenging often often in the arts is that you know we're always uh into the latest shiny toy and right now that seems to be digital marketing is a very popular shiny toy for the arts it's like oh we can do you know all these online ads and make millions of dollars just like amazon and you know all these other billion dollar companies well that's great you know that's all about acquisition and acquisition is wonderful to get those first-time buyers in what are you doing when you get those acquisitioned digital marketing first-time buyers in? What is your plan? Most people don't have that clue. You know, we're, there are arts organizations are hiring digital marketing managers now. That's great. But where is your audience development manager? Where is that person to continue that conversation? 
non-existent. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we didn't even talk about this stuff. But this is like <laughs> it's like you're like hiding in my brain here because there we go. the uh, shiny toy thing is like so it, it is a problem because the thing is is like I think it it masks the idea that you need to have in your you know in your organization a vision for what you want mm-hmm. to become right what mm-hmm. what do you want people to see and think and feel about you and your organization you know it could be the ballet it could be the theater it could be a whatever right um and sometimes it's like the you know and i know it happens now with digital marketing um it overwhelms everything else because you're like well, well everybody else is on pinterest i guess we need to create a pinterest page for our you know for our organization and, and i always say that if you find me have a put a business page on pinterest you should that maybe should be like a sign of help like <laughs> I need help because I, my clients are, they're just not on Pinterest. So for me to put it, you know, and you, you, so you have to know, right? Like what you're trying mm-hmm. to do. And that's why I think the digital, you know, labeling everything digital and making such a big deal out of it, it misses a lot of points, right? Because I know we were talking about people putting all of their eggs into the digital basket. And I think that's just like, it, it's unwise mm-hmm. it, because like you said, there's no thought into the, you know, once I've acquired the cu- the customers, you know, how do I turn them into subscribers and fans and part of my community, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. say anything, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even leave room for that, right? It's just mm-hmm. every time well, I want to do, yeah, every time there, I want somebody, I, I need to go back and get them. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, let's just not even talk about churn. My gosh, okay, you brought in those 500 new single ticket buyers for that one show, okay? And you didn't cultivate them and you didn't ask them back. So what do you have to do for the next show? You have to find 500 new people completely to take their place. And then the cycle continues. And I'm talking very generally without any stats or anything like that. But the, the point is, is that unless you, again, cultivate, engage with these people, these first-time buyers, they are going to be one-time buyers. They're not going to be second-time buyers. You know, they're not, you're, you're not creating a relationship. One of the great analogies that I like at Diablo Ballet, we look at our ticket buyers as a date. Look at it that way. You've come to us for the first time. Fabulous. This is our first date. We're getting to know each other. We, and then we like each other and, oh my gosh, we want to go out again. Let's have a second date. Okay, we're getting to know each other a little bit better. I like you better. You like me better. Where is this relationship going to go? Are, are we going to propose to each other? Are you going to become a subscriber and really make a deep commitment to our life together? That's how I like to approach it. Go on a relationship. Start a relationship with your ticket buyers. See where it goes. That, that, that's exactly right because you bring up the great point of every time if I have to go find 500 new first-time buyers, right? Because mm-hmm. part of it's like you know that even if the 500 first-time buyers and you go back and you market to them again and you get some – there's an overlap. They're still mm-hmm. basically first-time buyers because it's not like you've taken any actions to go like, hey, Dan, I know you've been here once before. I'm glad to see you return. You know, right. what made you come back? You know, you know, why do you find us valuable? You know, what, you know, how can we take the next step, right? What's the next logical step in our relationship? And I like the dating analogy. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> Hopefully not, doesn't lead to divorce. Right. Uh, on that, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the end. But, yeah. you know, I, I, and again, I, I think it just goes back to a lot of companies have just not fully thought this through. And the, the biggest thing is that this is not, you know, brain surgery. This is not rocket science. This is basically reaching out to somebody who's come to you once and say, hey, 
I acknowledge you. We appreciate you coming. We'd like you to come back again. Would you like to do that? Simple as that. But yeah. we, for some reason, a lot of roadblocks for a lot of organizations to do that. Yeah, and it's really, um, it baffles me a lot of times, too, because I, I know that, you know, even though I have a lot of experience in the, in the arts and the theater and, and on the, you know, entertainment period, I still have a heavy training, a business, you know, a business background. And I know mm-hmm. that, like, reacquiring customers is the most expensive thing you can do. Uh. So the cheapest thing, the cheapest form of customer acquisition is to keep the ones you already have. Bingo. <laughs> so it's, it's, just, it's, it's not even like uh, um, a crazy philosophy. It's just like it's logical, right? It's just it like, is. I, it's, I, it's basic. I mean, Oliver Wyman did a study a few years ago about first-time ticket buyers. And it was interesting to find out that uh, they believe it was over 60% of your ticket buyers in a season are going to be first-time ticket buyers. But the more shocking point was that over 80% of them will never return. That's scary. Do we realize facts like that? That is really scary. So you brought somebody in, you spent all this money with all kinds of marketing tools to get that person in, and then you're just going to let them go away. Okay. What's the return on value? I'm baffled by that. Yeah, no, and and I like that too, the return on value. Because... I mean, I didn't even know the stat about 80% of the first, of, six, of the 60% not coming back because how much wasted opportunity is that every year? I mean, again, if the premise is that in the arts, right, there's a struggle to develop and grow an audience in a lot mm-hmm. of places. So what you're telling me is by not paying attention to this, you know, this 80% of people who are first-time buyers that don't come back is that you don't care that there's a you, – you just figure like you can continue to co- churn the audience – and they're, they're mm-hmm. just going to make it up. And, and that's wrong. <laughs> that's just not right. <laughs> because there's just not enough people that are ever going to be in your, in your market to do that. Absolutely. And more importantly, as we very well know in, in this wonderful nonprofit world we work in, there's not a lot of money. So you want to just keep spending money and throwing money out there just to get that first-time ticket buyer. And then nothing to – to try and keep coming, having them come back. I, I, I don't get a lot of it, but we're we're fighting our own battle, I guess, Dave. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I get the label of curmudgeon from time to time, so I accept it. <laughs> and I think, and and a friend of mine, she, she was like, "One, well, I don't think it's that you're curmudgeonly or that you're even a jerk. It, it's this that like you're so blatantly obvious about stuff, and people just don't like, you know, they just don't like to hear it sometimes because they always want to make it. They, it makes them feel uncomfortable because there should be that the solution's simple, I guess. Oh, that, you're absolutely right. And I think that is exactly the point. Well, you know, again, what we've been talking about is not rocket science. It is very simple and organizations of every budget size can do it. I, why aren't you? I mean, the, the, the word I'm really starting to hate nowadays is scalability. <laughs> I have had organizations, you know, I've uh, literally, I was talking to a, a you know, a, a large organization, millions, millions, millions of dollars operating budget, you know, have thousands and thousands of people coming in, telling them about the process of what I'm doing here and what we're doing for recultivation. And it was always, well, that's really nice and that's sweet. But, you know, when we have, you know, 200 new people per show coming in, we can, the scalability of this just doesn't work. And so I was still thinking that it was like, I, what you're doing is not 
saying that you don't want to do it is it, actually, no, that's what you're saying is you're giving yourself an out want not to do it. You don't have to do it in exactly the same kind of parameters that we're doing it. You can find ways to adapt it to your organization. The fact is, is that you're not doing anything. So find a way to do something, you know, that'll, that will cultivate and just don't put up that roadblock immediately and say, uh, the scalability can't happen. Never going to happen. Well, you know? it reminds me of two things, too. The scalability thing, right? Which, to me, is sort of highlights, like, a lot of the worst things that have happened in our economy and our culture, right? Which is, like, <laughs> it makes things disposable. At least that's the way I see some of it, right? Because it's like, you're on, mm-hmm. you know, you can just, like, I can throw Dan and Dave away because there's going to be another Dan and Dave right behind them. Which is, we again, <laughs> we know is untrue because if... Uh, you know, if we're as humans, we're pack animals, right? So we're, we want to be parts right. of groups. So you can't. So sure. number one, you can't scalability where you're churning and burning people doesn't work. Ultimately, mm-hmm. in the end, you run out of you run out of people. But there the second go. thing is, it also reminds me of uh, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, quote, and this is maybe going to be the only one that ever comes out on this podcast. But it's like, <laughs> what is the ROI of your mom? Right. And it's like the same thing. So like with the scalability of not being able to have human engagements, it's like, well, what else is there? Right. It's like the people who tell me I spend too much time focusing on the customer. I was like, going, well, what else do I have to do? It's, if I don't have a customer, what in the hell do I have? Well, if you don't have humanity, what do you have? Well, that's exactly right. That's it. It is. You know, one day maybe people will wake up and realize how right we are. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, it, I mean, it becomes a little, you know, I, I, I can see them, uh, I whittle away at the edges every day. Um, <laughs> maybe not fast uh, enough, though. <laughs> well, one day, you know, it, you know it, it's really interesting because you know, arts marketing is re- slow to adapt a lot of the stuff that goes on in our world, especially the technology and the stuff. However, when I talk to more people about stuff like audience development, I'm understanding or at least seeing a lot more people understanding the basic need for this to happen. Doesn't mean that they're going to do anything right away, uh, but at least some people are on that path, which is a rewarding sign. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. And that, that sort of mirrors exactly what I've heard um, you know, around the world and not and not and in kind of all ticketed areas. It's that everybody kind of understands they're slow to slow to change, but at mm-hmm. least they've started to understand that the, the need to change. Absolutely. And, and hopefully that's going to be something that um, catches hold. Um, now, I don't want to keep you too long, but, uh, you know, number one is I, I, th- I had a lot of fun. So I'm hoping well, that at you. some point you'll come back and do this again. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. But then number two is how can people find you and keep in touch with you? Well, you uh, first of all, on LinkedIn is the best way to do it. It's Dan Marr, which is I how it's not it. spelled at yes. all. Believe me. Last name is M-E-A. G-H-E-R. Nowhere near the last name that sounds like it at all. So I, that, that, that's my own little calling card kind of thing there. Uh, LinkedIn is the best one. Or you can always send me an email directly here at Diablo Ballet, which is dan at org. Any questions? I am I have people asking stuff lots, and I am more than happy to take the time because, again, you know, I think this is important for us. We are always fighting an uphill battle in the arts. We let's do this together. Let's find some audiences. Let's make it happen. That's exactly right. And the other thing too is like we were talking about like the emailing and the LinkedIn and, and the podcasting. It, it, it's also a lot of fun. Like you have friends <laughs> all over the world, right? So, yeah. so I mean, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. 
Well, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. And thank you for uh, keeping the audience development, the arts alive. (laughs) Thank you again for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. I'd also like to thank my guest, Dan Marr from the Diablo Ballet. To find out more about what I'm up to, you can visit my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. If you have any thoughts, ideas, concerns, uh, feedback about the podcast, feel free to email me. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter, at David Wakeman. Um, I'm probably on a whole bunch of other social media platforms as well. But maybe most importantly, if you like what I'm doing here with the podcast, why don't you become a subscriber? We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. I think we're on all the platforms these days. Hit subscribe. And if you're so inclined, leave a review. It really helps helps us out a lot. So... Until next time, take it easy.